It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. It's set to be a very busy week in Washington. Hunter Biden is testifying behind closed doors on Capitol Hill. A government shutdown is on the horizon, possibly, and both President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump plan to visit the U.S. southern border on Thursday. Coincidence, the president said he wasn't planning. I've been planning to go Thursday. What I didn't know is uh, my good friend apparently is gone. Meanwhile, overseas, Israel is setting its sights on expanding its ground operations in Gaza, while President Biden announced another potential ceasefire deal could be made by the end of the weekend. But what will that mean for the state of the conflict? To discuss all of this and more, we bring in our panel, former Tennessee Congressman, co-host of The Five, Harold Ford Jr., host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich, and Fox News Radio political analyst, Josh Krashauer. Guys, uh... Let's start with the president saying that there could be a ceasefire deal. Uh, ben, interestingly, the Israeli officials, top officials uh, to reporters saying we, we don't think there's that's going to happen. Even Hamas officials talking uh, in Doha, Qatar, saying we don't think that's going to come together. Uh, he said it the day before the Michigan primary, where there is a lot of, you know, uh, speculation about uncommitted and some Arab Americans being upset about administration policy towards Gaza. Yes, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that in this upcoming contest uh, in the general election, uh, there is uh, you know such intense competition within some of these states that you know, just a 10,000 vote margin here and there can be the difference between winning and losing. And in the case of Michigan, we have seen the reaction to the Biden policies as it regards Gaza and the Israel response being something uh, that is very controversial within typically Democrat circles uh, among uh, a number of different Muslim American groups. Uh, and that's something that really could matter on a national scale uh, if those groups turn out to either you know vote somewhere else or to stay home when it comes time to, to vote in the presidential election. I think that when it comes to, to this current moment, you know, as much as the president, you know, likes to uh, sort of get out there and, and say certain things, you know, regardless of whether it's supported by the White House or not, it's really irresponsible for him to engage in such behavior when it comes to, you know, ha having a, a conversation over ice cream about a potential ceasefire in this region you know, that's just not something that he should do. It's not responsible. Uh, and I think that, you know, in, in this case, 
uh, there is no real indication that it has the kind of support or, or any kind of conversation that's going on that would indicate that it's really founded in reality. One of the problems that we have with Joe Biden, of course, is that we, uh, you know, deal with his his reactions on these kinds of scales, and we're trying to read the tea leaves of whether it's really based in reality or not. In this case, I don't think it is. Uh, and you know, when it comes to you know where we're going from here. There are so many different questions that are around this administration and that are around uh, Joe Biden's general approach to this conflict, you know, that, uh, you know, deal in relationships that he's had for a very long time, including a pretty negative relationship with Netanyahu that I think factor into this whole scene. Harold, we don't know how this is going to go and the uncommitted. And we saw the effort to write in ceasefire in New Hampshire did not really materialize. But we do know that there is a contingent, especially in Michigan, that has been vocal about um, not going along with administration policy. Also, we know in Michigan that there are union voters, union members uh, who say that despite the fact that the union endorsed President Biden, uh, they're going to be voting for President Trump, uh, former President Trump, in a general election matchup that's likely to come. What do you make of the politics of someplace like Michigan when it comes to Democrats? Well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, The politics we've always had in the middle of war in our country, anti-war activists and others who have voiced their opinion uh, and certainly are able to voice their opinion at the ballot box. Uh, Michigan, uh, more specifically, Brett, to your question, uh, has been a, a tricky state for Democrats, an unpredictable state over the last two election cycles. Obviously, Mr. Mr. Trump won it against Miss um, Clinton, and he lost it against Mr. Biden. Uh, and the war politics are complicating things. It'll be interesting to see what that uncommitted vote tally turns out to be this evening. And we can all settle on whatever number we think should be a trigger for being uncomfortable if you're a Democrat. But the fact that it's gotten so much attention in and of itself is uncomfortable for Democrats. And uh, I have to think that the president and his team uh, may be even more incentivized to find uh, some sort of different posture uh, between the, uh, the the Palestinians and Gazans and the Israelis and obviously us. And I hope, I know that we're all rooting for uh, a resolution uh, that brings back the hostages, a resolution that provides security for the Israelis and provides security uh, and stability for, for the Palestinians once we get past this really ugly moment. Uh, but the part, your, your point is not lost on me, uh, Brett. I think as we head between now and the fall, uh, I think there will be an eagerness on the part of the administration. And I would hope that the administration would have the support uh, of Congress if the deal that they're able to engineer, if they're able to engineer a deal uh, between the, the, the warring parties, uh, or I should say between the Israelis and the Palestinians and the Gazans. Uh, and let me be clear, I think the Israeli position of wanting to weaken, as if not destroy Hamas, is something we should all be aiming for and want to achieve. And the return of all the hostages has to be uh, predicates for uh, a different kind of posture there in the Middle East. And I think the administration uh, in the coming coming days and weeks should make make that point clear. Um, And I know that there is disgruntlement with Mr. Netanyahu before all of this. I heard Ben's point. I'm a believer that Mr. Netanyahu has a lot to answer for he and his administration as to why October 7th happened. Uh, and hopefully we will get to that sooner rather than later. But that point should not be lost on those who are critical of the administration 
either. But how this politics will play between now and November in terms of many who believe that the Israelis, uh, that their efforts in Gaza have gone too far and what that means in terms of their vote in November. I think that the jury is still out on that. We'll have to wait to see uh, how November plays. But I, it's not lost to me either, Brett, and I'd be I mean, I, I try to call balls and strikes. It's, if we see a high, uncommitted vote this evening in a Democratic primary, uh, that is reason for a little more concern, if not more concern on the part of Democrats. Yeah. And Josh, you know, the administration's walking this line. There are some, you know, uh, Jewish Americans who really don't feel like um, the administration is fully committed on the Israeli side. So, I mean, they're getting it from both sides of this issue uh, politically. I mean, that, that, that's the real challenge for, for the Biden campaign in, in this Michigan primary, because, yes, there is a very loud, uh, at times radical faction in Dearborn, in some of the college towns around the state that are very anti-war, very anti-Israel, and, and are trying to make their voices heard and voting for uncommitted in, in, in the primary. But if you look at the Michigan polls and if you look at the national polls, there's a much larger Democratic constituency, and there certainly is a much larger constituency in the overall American public that supports Israel and, you know, largely supports their efforts to take out Hamas in Gaza. So, you know, I, I think the Biden campaign, what their strategy has been is sort of to pander to these groups. They they sent out some um, mid-level officials to Dearborn a couple weeks ago to say that they their, their rhetoric hasn't always hit the right note. They've uh, sanctioned some settlers uh, in a more of a symbolic move, uh, but they haven't really changed their policy, and they've been playing this sort of uh, double dance. Where I think they're su substantively, they've they've been you know supportive of of, of the effort to in, on Israel's part to take out Hamas with the warnings that they need to kind of maintain humanitarian concerns. But at the same time, they've kind of sent some symbolic notes to the Arab community to the folks who are much more critical about Israel's efforts to try to keep that coalition together. I think part of the fundamental problem, Brett, is that this democratic coalition is getting very, very unwieldy. Uh, it's not just over Israel, but you have the left uh, and, and and the moderates not on the same page when it comes to immigration and border security. I was looking at the Fox uh, News Michigan poll that just came out recently. 20 Over 20 percent of African-American voters said they're going to vote for Donald Trump in Michigan. Uh, you've got you. You know, Ben was talking about some of the the the, the union uh, car union uh, workers who I know the UAW endorsed Biden, but a lot of the rank and file workers are um, supportive of of Trump. They've been trending Republican, so this is a real challenge. You know, to, to win Michigan, you and to win, frankly, most battleground states, you've got to stay closer to the middle. But boy, if the base doesn't show up or if the base is divided, um, that could be a big problem as well in these closely contested states. So then Thursday, we have this, you know, split screen of President Biden and former President Trump both going to the border, different places, but uh, both going to the border. This, Ben, as we've seen in every state so far, uh, New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina, that immigration is the number one issue for Republicans. But notably, immigration is now surging to the top of the most important problem list at the Gallup poll. This is both parties. This is just the most important issue facing the U.S. now at the top spot, 28 um, percent, and has now passed uh, the government is the most often cited problem after, you know, the past two months. You've seen uh, the government ranked each month from January through uh, November uh, 2023. Anyway, my point is, is that immigration 
has taken on a life of its own as a top issue. And clearly that's one of the reasons that both of these folks are going to the border. You know, one of the things that I think we need to appreciate about this in context is that Joe Biden really was very concerned, you know, a a few years ago that uh, along with many of those around him, that he was going to face some kind of of challenge from the left in a primary, Uh, something that he was concerned about, you know, to the degree that, you know, a number of different reporters have have, uh, weighed in on. Uh, And I think that, you know, he worked very hard to make sure that that would not be the case. It's one of the reasons for this shift to the left that a lot of people have said, you know, basically make them feel like even though he won uh, the Democratic primary uh, in 2020, obviously, uh, that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have gotten a lot more out of this administration than perhaps they expected and their supporters expected. I think when it comes to immigration, that has done the Democratic Party a real disservice. If Joe Biden had really stuck to the kind of position that he had had before when it came to the treatment of border policy, I don't think that Democrats, especially Democrats uh, running for re-election in Senate seats in red states across the country, uh, would be facing the kind of difficulty that they currently do. Obviously, the White House has telegraphed to us that uh, we you know, couldn't expect some kind of response to this either perhaps this week or maybe next in the State of the Union uh, when it comes to their dealing with border policy. But will that be enough? Will it turn things around? And will it satisfy the concerns of a lot of these voters who are in the mushy middle, the kind of you know independent right-leaning space, suburban women and the like, uh, for whom that immigration issue is climbing up and up the charts, as you made reference to. Uh, you know, obviously, Democrats think that they can appeal to them on the abortion issue, on the IVF issue, on on all sorts of other culture war kind of policies. But the more that immigration is something that they're concerned about, that the border issue is something that they're concerned about, the harder it will be for these red state Democrat senators to get reelected and for Democrats to hold the Senate side of things, regardless of the presidential outcome. Panel, we'll hold it right there. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So, Harold, a separate question in the Gallup survey finds that record high 55% of U.S. adults, that's up eight points from last year, saying that large numbers of immigrants entering the United States illegally is a critical threat to U.S. vital interests. Republicans, not surprising, are at 90%. They went up from 84%. But there's a larger increase in critical threat in independence, 40% to 54%. Democrats are about 29%. But it it is affecting uh, politics, policy, and we still have yet to see the president initiate executive orders. They've flirted with it. They've talked that it could come. But obviously, he has the pen and the phone ability, just like President Obama did. So and including uh, President Trump, who had uh, the executive order powers, and I hope that President Biden will use executive order powers to um, uh, reinstate some of the uh, executive orders that President Trump uh, instated 
And as we all know, and we should all be honest, executive orders is not the way you want your country to be run. They're subject to uh, challenges, constitutional challenges before the court, and many are often struck down. And they also get erased by the administration that's following sometime, which is what we saw in the Biden administration to the Trump administration. Right. But so I I would ask anybody this. I I am for uh, reinstating everything that President Trump did. The difference is Senator Lankford and those Republicans in the Senate who were serious, smart, thoughtful guys would not have wasted their time over the last several months working on a broad border security and immigration bill if all of this could be solved by President Biden. Now, let's say they were dumb enough to do that. And maybe uh, you can never put aside the fact that people could be dumb uh, and short-sighted and myopic. Let's say they did that. Let's say now we all know that all it takes is for President Biden to sign a piece of paper uh, and have it done. You know what? I'm for it. President Biden should sign it. The problem is signing those papers does nothing to reform the asylum process. Signing those papers does nothing to put more judges down on the border does nothing to put more law enforcement there's there's a reason the border patrol union endorsed the compromise bill that was in that was crafted and drafted through sweat and tears by democrats and republicans in the senate they supported it because unlike the four of us on this call they actually do that job for a living day to day hour by hour may i I just respond i didn't interrupt i didn't interrupt you so we should do both now, I, the point of the politics is not lost to me. But the question I would ask Ben, as you respond to me, Ben, is this. How many more Georgia uh, nursing students, how many more students across the country, how many more cops need to be shot by migrants? How many more pedophiles? How much more fentanyl do we need to let in until we begin to try to do something? Biden should he should reinstate the Trump uh, executive orders and even go a step further and maybe close the border for two weeks while they try to work on some things. But that's not going to solve the asylum process issue. We should do all that we can. Stop playing the politics. Everybody do their job. And if everybody in Washington did their job, you know, maybe we wouldn't have something to talk about on the podcast about this. But thankfully, I would welcome that. Yeah, what's I going get, on yeah, I get the your order is a national security challenge and it should be fixed. Just, I get just for the all sake of that. Hold on, Ben. I get all of that. But understand that on day one. President Biden could have done the series of executive orders. Day one, he could have done all of that. Once or once he got to critical mass and these numbers that we're looking at, he could have said, okay, we've reached a point. We got to do this. Let's still work on the legislation. Go ahead, Ben. So I just want to say, first off, I understand the passion in Harold's voice and I, I completely agree with his with his sentiment. You know, the the thing that I think though that we need to understand in context is that the Langford bill, the, the compromise that he worked hard on, that Kristen Sinema worked hard on, that was crafted, you know, obviously across, you know, partisan lines in order to try to achieve something, it would have been dead on arrival in the House, period, because of, you know, both sides, meaning that there was essentially two dozen votes on the Republican side and on the Democrat side that would have would have blocked this no matter where you ended up in this situation, that the progressive uh, caucus, portion of the Democratic caucus and that the hard right portion of the Republican caucus would have prevented this uh, from moving forward no matter where you ended up. I just do not think that there were the votes there to get this through on the House side from the get-go. And that's why you saw the flood in terms of the, the you know, not just immigration hardliners, but people who are relatively in the center 
of this, and I would include my old boss, John Cornyn of Texas on this. You know, I worked when I was working for him on a guest worker bill back in the day, completely different immigration system back in the mid 2000s. Uh, but I think that it's it's a it's a real challenge. And I agree with Harold that this is something where we would like to see movement that does not re- that does not simply require executive orders from from the White House. That being can said, I, can I ask you one question? Yes. What they did they put the did they put that bill on the floor in the house no of course not Harold. of course right so, would, I don't, we don't not, know, so i don't I, I think it would have passed i would love to have seen them put it on I, the floor and allow regular order allow amendments to come to it fix the bill improve the bill there were things i didn't like on, about the senate side but this, it's called on, a process on, on this point i i would simply disagree with you simply based on my own conversations with members on both sides of the aisle but as, but as that's, somebody but that's something that we don't body, have but that's something that you are correct we don't have that we don't have the outcome to point to um, but but I would just say I think that I think that this is an issue where the White House put itself into a, a real jam by feeling like they were being pressed from the left, from the progressive wing of their own party uh, in a way that I think that that really did a disservice, not just to the country, uh, but to this whole conversation. And I think that now they're going to try to make up for it. And we are going to end up likely seeing, as you said, Brett, them going back and reversing a number of the steps that they did uh, in order to send a message to the left, uh, you know, don't challenge us. We're going to roll back all these Trump policies. I think they're going to well, reinstate a lot of them for political. One, one last question. Do you think President Trump's call to the congressmen and senators, Republicans saying don't pass it because it'll help Biden? Do you think that had any impact on anybody's thinking you know, around I, this I, bill? I, I would say it hadn't. It may have had an impact in the in the margins, but honestly, Harold, when you've got people like Barrasso and Cornyn and Thune coming out and saying this is DOA, you you I mean Tim Scott's a good example of this. If Tim Scott is someone you can't get on your side on this issue, then that's not going to be something that you're going to be able to pass. And it it doesn't really matter at that point whether Donald Trump is in, in favor of it or well, not. You need you this needed. This but, needed but let the I think let me I think President Trump called after those guys made their statement. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I, I, you have to admit, Ben, and I'll bring in Josh, that th- the former president lobbying against this definitely uh, affects it, even at the of margin. Of course it does. And, know, when, when, but, he, when he lobbies against but it, but to matters. Harold's point, you could put it on the floor if you weren't worried that it would pass. He wants yeah, the no, issue. I, former president I, I wants think, the issue. However, I think the president, the former president, the wants question, the issue. That's very the true. The question is, Josh, yeah, who is better? positioned here on this issue because in reality you could talk about the senate bill until you're blue in the face but there are millions and millions of people coming across the border and you as the president of the united states have the power to stop that but you're arguing about the senate bill that's negotiated over this and the house didn't put it on the floor and in the mix there it's still the biden administration's issue that they yep. are taking it on the chin. So there is a difference between the substance and the politics. Uh, I, I won't get too too deep in the weeds. We just had that big debate on, on the politics. But look, I, I I think there would have been the votes in the House if if, if there wasn't uh, if it was brought to the floor. But clearly, um, you know, politically in the big picture, immigration is a much tougher issue for Democrats. And uh, the fact that Joe Biden is only visiting the U.S.-Mexico border for the second time this week in his entire presidency is a sign of how reactive 
the president has been and how he's following Trump and he's following the Republicans and, and, and understanding that this is an important issue. This is an issue that is not just a wedge issue that Democrats, I think, maybe thought for quite quite a while, but it's one of the top issues for all voters. Uh, 61, there's the Gallup poll, there was a Monmouth poll this week showing 61% of voters now saying illegal immigration is a very serious issue, which is up 15 points in the last five years. Uh, for the first time in the polling, uh, a majority of voters want a border wall with Mexico. So, I mean, look, I, it's easy for the Democrats to score some procedural points and to say that, and I, I think they're right, that the, the the compromise bill in the Senate was, in my memory at least, the, the toughest uh, on uh, illegal immigration legislation that was done in a bipartisan fashion. That, that you know, theoretically could have could have passed Congress. I think that, you know, I remember the the Bush, the debate over the back in the Bush years over comprehensive immigration reform. And uh, boy, that was a much more liberal bill than, than what was coming across. Uh, through well, Congress. let's also remember, Josh, that it included funding for Ukraine that is very controversial on the Republican side and funding for Israel, which is very controversial on the progressive side. And it was all jammed together, not on an individual bill, but all in together. Yeah, and that's, I mean, look, that I guess in an election year, it's not easy to make bipartisan compromises, but that's generally how you pass legislation in, in Washington. You have to you scratch backs. Yeah, of course. But this one, you know, that, this one that, had, that's, I had mean, some issues. That's, that's right. And look, the, the, the Ukraine was, was, was a one time a 70 30 issue overall. Now we're seeing how hard it is just to get, you know, a standalone uh, foreign aid bill. Through, through Congress. So, you know, these none of, none of these issues, these are very thorny issues. They're all going to be very, very difficult to get through uh, Congress in a divide, in the House, narrowly divided. But um, boy, I mean, it's a sign of that, that gridlock is the name of the game in Washington for, for some time to come. Yeah. And last thing, Harold, do you think immigration is going to drive the day uh, for the rest of this general election will be the longest general election fight that we've ever had? I hope not. And I hope I hope that Ben, who's my friend, doesn't misconstrue my passion. I, I'm passionate about this to both, and I think Josh did a good job of describing it as well. Because I, I don't understand the, where we're going. If you take this to an illogical conclusion, we never get anything done in the House or the Senate if this is the paradigm. Because every every election year, if you do something uh, something big, the country wants the minority party could argue that you're going to benefit the majority. Or if you do something that the minority party wants, the majority party can say, we're going to do something that benefits them. I can imagine a day where Democrats, if you have a Republican president and she decides to sign gun reform legislation and you have a group of crazy Democrats who say, you know, we can't do that now because we're going to benefit the Republicans. We've worked so hard to bring about sensible gun reform, so we're going to oppose it. I would be the first person, not as a Democrat, but as an American who's concerned about this, saying you people are idiotic. You're lunatics. We've worked on this. Let's make our country safer. And all I'm saying is if your party resembles what I'm saying right now on the issue of immigration and border security, because you're trying to protect a political issue. And Ben, this is not directed to you or Josh or anybody. If your party is saying that we're not going to fund the Ukrainians because we want to know where every single dollar is being spent. We don't know where every single dollar is being spent in our, in our own government. But what we do know if Putin takes Ukraine and takes an, and decides to invade another NATO country or a, a NATO country, excuse me, then we're going to have U.S. troops on the ground in Europe and or we're going to dissolve NATO. So I don't understand this nonsense. My, my point is I think Biden is wrong. I have said this repeatedly. They are wrong not to reverse these executive orders. But the Congress is equally wrong not to not to 
force his hand on this issue as well. And I would challenge anyone, challenge anyone who believes that if you put an immigration or border security bill on the House floor tomorrow, that it would not pass. Much like if Speaker Johnson put a bill to keep the government open that included provisions that some Democrats like on the floor tomorrow, it would pass. Now, he may not survive as speaker, but it would pass. Yeah. And that's where yeah. we have to get back to, I think, as a government. I think I think yeah. that, I think we're that, always one, you know, one election away from solving the big things. <laughs> and uh, that's a big problem. You're exactly right, Harold. Final word, Ben. I, I would just say that I think that what, that last point that Harold made is actually very apt, which is that the, the cost of many of these things might be a motion to vacate meaning that we are now in this new reality in the House where you have to basically be willing to give up your speakership in order to achieve any kind of, of meaningful legislation, which is not, by the way, a way to govern or the way that the House was designed to work. Uh, and so uh, I think we can find some agreement there. And, and, and Harold, I would never uh, misjudge your passion. When you get fiery on this stuff, I know it comes from your heart. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Likewise. Now for a bit of history. Born in 1840, Thomas Nast, known as the father of American cartoon, the political cartoonist primarily known for popularizing the Republican Party's tie to the elephant and the Democrats' link to the donkey. His 1847 illustration depicting a donkey dressed in lion's clothing, scaring an elephant with the words, the Republican vote, written across its middle, caught the attention of countless Americans, continuing its use to present day. That's how we got the elephant and the donkey. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. Fiery one today. For Ben, Josh, and Harold, and Brett Baer. See you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.